0: Hello. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the TF1 podcast. This is your host, Trey, and we are covering the Mexican GP review. All right. As usual, there's a lot to get into and talk about. So let's get right into it. Let's go. All right, everybody. Hope you had a great weekend coming here to review the Mexican GP that we just finished. Uh, This was an interesting weekend for a lot of different reasons. As we can see approaching this end of the F1 season, uh, there was a lot hanging in the balance um, for the, you know, for the prior week before the weekend. So some of those things that were in the balance was not just our focus for the race, but We were also all awaiting the news of the cost cap breach, you know, with the finale from the FIA, what the ramifications of that was. So all that was in the air coming into the Mexican GP. So not only were we thinking about just, you know, what type of season Red Bull is having and all those talking points, but this cost cap issue that we've been dealing with now uh, as far as the results for the last couple of weeks, this is where they announced what the announcement was going to come officially from the FIA. And then we were going to hear from Red Bull. All right. So there's a lot to get into. Like I said, um, before I get to that pertinent, you know, news of the cost cap and everything as usual, let's go ahead and do our race analysis. Let's talk about our Friday and qualifying performance. And what are the trends that we did see for this Mexican GP? So what was interesting was Friday practice, we are looking, we were, I should say, looking at a really positive and increased pace from Mercedes. So as you know, as we say every week coming into covering these races, of course, we we know where Red Bull is going to be at. You know, uh, uh, right now at, at this point in the season, it's almost a given where we know pretty much in qualifying trim and in race as un- as, uh, as unfortunately unpredictable it may sound, we know that that Red Bull car and max are going to be there and thereabouts. So the question is the other teams as far as Mercedes, as far as Ferrari, you know, who's going to mount a challenge possibly, even if it's not a challenge, Who's at least going to be setting up their car best in order to have a good qualifying session? And so, going through the qualifying, the uh, excuse me, the practice sessions between Friday and then the last practice session on Saturday, it was very clear that you know Mercedes actually topped two of the practice sessions. So that is really telling you just the hard work and the endless development that Mercedes have have done throughout the season. And of course, you guys remember, you know, how far back they were at the beginning of the season, let's say the first three to four races. uh, You know, we've never seen Mercedes in the back foot compared to the front runners. So they were it's easy to forget now. But if you really look back They were really, really behind in performance. They were actually battling, not necessarily Ferrari and Red Bull, to be totally honest, they were battling the midfield. And so they were really trying to uh, battle McLaren and Alpine. So, you know again, these are words we've never said a Mercedes battling mid, you know, mid-level teams, but that was what the reality was. So I just needed to mention that to give you a perspective of just how relentless and how hardworking the factory has been to now we are at a point where Mercedes has, you know, you can see clearly pace wise, they have come a long way. So that kind of set the table. Now, Ferrari did not necessarily have a straightforward uh, practice sessions. You you kind of saw the trend going down, but you were not sure if they were going to uh, recover that on Saturday. So once qualifying came, the what we saw with the timesheets on Friday was really confirmed because Mercedes had an outstanding qualifying. In fact, Um, you know, it was an exciting qualifying because you could see towards the end when it's, you know, the third part of qualifying, the final part, uh, between the times that Max set, which was a blistering time. And he jumped on top of the time sheets. Um, then you had a very competitive time set by Lewis Hamilton, and then an even more competitive time set by his teammate Russell and on the final runs, um you can actually hear as qualifying was closing out um Russell you know kind of emotional really apologizing to the team not once but several times because he had made a mistake and you saw the replay he had actually gone wide so it, you know it's not out of the realm of possibility to say you know and he even mentioned that in his uh, in, in his press conference uh, in in the media pen afterwards that there was a very real possibility that he could have gained pole without, without that little mistake that he did trying to push and going wide. It was very possible that we would have actually had a Mercedes on pole. So it's very telling, just like I said, at the beginning, um, of the podcast, you know, kind of the picture we're now seeing where, you know, Mercedes is legitimately now, um, you know, trying to not only stay on pace which they've been doing most of the season with red bull but they're now entering the challenging phase of red bull and and that's great to see so that was our qualifying for you so you you finally had max take the first position again keeping his consistency you had russell second and then hamilton in third and that was setting up our race for sunday okay so, interest, interesting grid. Like I said, you saw, you know, for the first time in a while this season, the absence of Ferrari uh, from, you know, the, the qualifying top three. They definitely had a hard time this weekend, just in general. We'll get all into all that. So, once the, the race started, you saw yet another, you know, just uh, a trait of Max Verstappen. He was able to aggressively keep his first position and that pretty much set the tone for the race. And then, and the battle up front, probably trying to make up for uh, a dismal Saturday because Perez had issues, you know, this is his home race. So of course he's very motivated and Mexico always has a great atmosphere and a lot of great fans. Uh, of course he, you know, being from Mexico, obviously he enjoys a lot of good support there. So he was very aggressive at the beginning um, to go ahead and overtake Russell, and then Hamilton also was in a position where he went wide and he made that takeover possible against his teammate against Russell. So at the at the final part of it, you know, you, you could say both Hamilton and uh, Perez were were super aggressive, and I, you know, from what Russell explained because of the last two races where he's actually had contact that kind of compromised his race, He he was being a little conservative, especially with his teammate Hamilton. So they were able to jump him and Hamilton, you know, slid into second and then Perez slid into third. And so you had the order jumbled up a little bit. So as the race is going on, now you're starting to see the different strategies at play. And, you know, as the Mercedes drivers talked about, they were really surprised among the front runners. They were, you know, one of the few only ones that were not starting with softs. You know, they, they actually had, you know, harder tires than the front runners. So the Red Bulls, um, you know, definitely were starting with soft. So, you're going to see that tire strategy play out because it really played in the hands of Red Bull. They were able to maximize on that pace. Now, Mercedes, you can, you can tell definitely had very strong race pace and, you know, they were really going through, um, going through the race with very consistent, you know, they had really consistent pace in order, in order to challenge the top runners. So, As the different strategies are playing again, you can see that this was not, uh, this was not uh, a strong day for Ferrari because they were, you know, still not in the top three. And then the race pace they were showing was not, they didn't have enough in hand in order to challenge either the Mercedes or Red Bull, you know? So now that Perez has jumped to third, of course, he was trying to maintain that. And as you're approaching the different laps, of course, we all understand Mexico is also not an easy track to make passes. So Mercedes had a choice in how they were going to, if they were going to keep both drivers, Hamilton and Russell on the same strategy, or should they make a change to challenge the Red Bulls? Okay. And um, as, as the race is going on, one thing that was clear was you can definitely hear Hamilton and at certain points towards the latter part of middle part of the race, even Russell definitely question: are we on the right tire? Because especially Russell, he felt like, you know, what if the strategy can be changed so that they can go into soft, they, they can get into soft. And of course, There's a, you know, there's a risk there. And the element is, do you want to give up your position that you currently have, which was P4 for Russell and get him, get him in the pits. And then now what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to make the, the, the pass on the field. So it is a risky proposition, but you know, Russell was under the impression that, Hey, you know, the soft tires can give me the benefit. Let's take a risk and a gamble right now. You know, I'm just in P4, I'm not going anywhere, we have nothing to lose. Let's go ahead and split the strategy and do that. And you know, the race engineers uh, definitely did not want to go with that, they wanted to stick with the strategy that they had in hand. So, of course, in retrospect, looking back now, you can kind of say it would have been much better. In order to take the gamble and split the strategies and maybe they could have and we don't know for sure obviously this is one of those things that you realize at the end of the race so we never know for sure but maybe had they possibly done that could they have challenged one of the red bulls now it was going to be very hard to do that with max even though lewis hamilton was really keeping up with him max with it with his tires had consistent pace and so because they're on the two stop strategy that was Red Bull, they were able to push the first stint quite far. And even after, after the race, um, Max talked about, he really didn't have any major issues at certain points. He felt like the tire was fading, but outside of that, you know, the tire was really consistent for them. So it was going to be very hard for Hamilton to necessarily, um, you know, trouble or challenge Max, even though the Mercedes cars have really improved pace this year. All right. So, you know, that was, you know, some of the racecraft that was happening up front. But as you go down the order, there was a couple of interesting things we're seeing. I've already mentioned the Ferrari is absolutely struggled. And um, I'll actually get into. You know, after the race, what the the head of Ferrari, uh, Mattia Bonato mentioned about what maybe, you know, some of the contributing factors to why they had a, you know, really weak performance. But some of the things we saw was Ricardo in the McLaren had a fantastic race. And, you know, you talk about gambles. And I mentioned that with the Mercedes strategy, what McLaren did is exactly that. That's exactly what they did. What they said was, you know what? We have nothing to lose with, with, you know, the place that Ricardo was in. Why are we not going to go ahead and gamble? And that's exactly what they did with their tire tire strategy. So once they went ahead and switched Ricardo over and made a stop and put him on softs, this, uh, you know, has to be. Pretty much, this is the first glimpse we've had, almost in a year and a half, by the way, which tells you just how much Ricardo has struggled. This is the first time this season that we saw the old Ricardo back, and it was really good to see. He made a lot of passes, guys. I mean, you're talking about, he had a very strong drive. The The only kind of negative that he had was uh, for Yuki Sonoda. this was... A really weak race because he did not have good luck um, and then when he was having a battle with Yuki this is Ricardo he actually had a really weak move and, and that actually caused a you know a collision with Yuki now it, it didn't immediately affect both of them and Ricardo was actually really lucky because it could have, it could have really damaged his car, but there was considerable damage to Yuki's car. So Yuki was forced to be, you know, go into the pits. And once the mechanics, you know, had a few seconds, they were getting ready to change his nose. And as they looked at the damage on the car, they decided this was too much of a damage to continue racing. So that definitely happened. Now, um, Ricardo for what he had done was given a 10 second penalty. Okay. But the interesting thing was that his pace was so strong that even with a 10 second penalty, he was able to overcome that. So Ricardo actually ended up coming in eighth and he made up at least, you know, five, six different positions. And like I said, you saw him make pass after pass. This was a glimpse of the old Ricardo. And so that was great to see. Uh, another driver who really had a very strong weekend was Botas in that Alfa Romeo. And, you know, th- that team has, for the most part of the season, you know, they had a strong start and then they really kind of faded away. So from the very first practice sessions on Friday, you could just tell that recent, you know, advances that the team had brought to the car is really working. Bottas had a very strong, uh, he had a strong qualifying, he had a strong race. So you can definitely tell, uh, this was one of their strongest races of the year. And like I said, Bottas did an outstanding job. So you, you just saw that playing out now, just going back to Ferrari I mentioned to you guys, and, and I'll get to the race results, but you know, they definitely, Uh, they had a very tough weekend in Mexico. One of the things that was mentioned uh, by their leader was because, uh, you know, this altitude in Mexico, we really have to pay attention to that. And I had also had this discussion uh, with one of my F1 friends. They were asking me, how does it affect, how does it affect the engines of these F1 cars? Now it has a big, big effect guys. So, with the turbochargers and everything, the Mexican altitude and those races, excuse me, that have altitude, they always affect the cars. So, essentially, what Ferrari had to do because there was another high altitude race, and I believe this was Austria, if you remember where. Carlos Sainz engine was literally on fire. That was a really, really big fire that they had. Um, this was early part of the season. So, you know, with altitude, it can, it can really hamper these turbos. And we know the damage that, that race caused that, that caused the DNF. So in order for that not to happen, Ferrari, which among the top runners, they, they have, uh, from what I understand, some of the smaller turbos compared to, um, Honda and Mercedes. So what they did was they turned it down a little bit, um, in order for, you know, to avoid any malfunctions or anything like that. So the word after the race from their leader, Bernardo was, that also possibly contributed this weekend to Ferrari's poor showing because they you know just for safety they they may have less power on hand. Now we saw what issue that high altitude caused speaking of engines because Alpine and Fernando uh his car stopped and he had engine issues. So Yeah, this this high altitude is no joke on F1 engines. And so it it was very telling how strong the Mercedes engine and, you know, the Red Bull's Honda engine was in these high altitudes. So that that speaks a lot to the strength of these engines and how they've harnessed them and, uh, you know, made sure that even in these high altitude conditions, they operate at an optimum level okay so that was kind of you know just up and down the field as far as a race report those were some of the things we witnessed and towards the end you know like i said as race fans you you possibly wanted a challenge at least from mercedes to some of the Red Bull drivers, either a Perez, like I said, it was, it was kind of difficult to mount a challenge on Max from Hamilton's point of view, but you wanted to see a challenge, but the strategy, uh, that Mercedes had chosen, um, did not necessarily allow for that. And like I said, the drivers were on the radio with their team. Um, and of course, after the race, I think, you know, even total wolf, the head of Mercedes said, we possibly could have been on a better strategy. But again, you, you're saying this in hindsight. So the race result was Max coming in first, Hamilton securing a fantastic podium finish for Mercedes in second, and Perez, uh, you know, solidified uh, being on the podium with his third position. Okay, so Max's victory was, um, was, this was a record breaking weekend for Max. And so just so that, you know, we can mention what's going on. So Max secured his 14th victory this weekend. Now that means he has broken, you know, the all time point differential, you know, the max points that an F1 driver has. So this is a pretty big record. And, you know, just goes to show you again, what type, what type of season Max is having pretty much in a dominating fashion, what type of season Red Bull is having. So he broke that total points record. Now, keep in mind, he's broken the record, but the season's not over. Um, there's still, you know, races to go. So he's going to add on top of the of the tally. So the record he broke was the one that Hamilton Uh, used to have. And that was from the 2019 season. Hamilton had a total of 413 points. Max currently has broken the record after the Mexico GP with 416 points, you know, so, you know, kudos to him and the team. Again, this just indicates just what type of season uh, these guys are having. Okay. So sticking with Red Bull, um, of course, you know, not only are we talking about uh, the record-breaking season that they're having, but I alluded to at the beginning of the podcast, Um, even with the victory they're sharing, of course, there's a lot of anticipation, a lot of nervousness, and a lot of drama surrounding the team uh, for different reasons, one being the cost cap, but, but the other, which was you know, I don't, it wasn't a factor or it wasn't a news item that I think any of us were, um, were expecting, but it was made clear after the race that, um, Sky TV did not have access to the Red Bull team. So, you know, Sky TV, of course, as you guys who watch F1 know, you know, they're the main uh, presenters. They have the contract for F1. So they typically will always, uh, break away and talk to Christian Horner, the head of the team, and you know, also speak to Max and, and Perez and the other drivers. You know, they they have direct access to them. Well this weekend, apparently that access was cut off because Max apparently was not happy with some of the comments that have been made by one of the hosts of Sky TV. My understanding is it's Ted Kravitz. Um so just you know again I mean, I mean, it's pretty, um, what are the words? It, it's just pretty strange that you would expect a whole team and a driver um, because they felt a way to cut off access to a journalist. Um, yeah, I, there's not a whole lot more I want to add to that. It, again, it, it's just really unexpected to put, you know, pull a drastic move like that, where, you know, you're not even giving uh, the journalists and the team access. So that definitely happened in the Mexican GP. My understanding is it will go back to business as usual, as far as Sky TV and Red Bull are concerned at the next race in Brazil. So just file that under strange. It's a little bit weird, but that did happen. So, I'm definitely reporting it to you guys and we'll go from there. So, the other um uh, obviously, you know, major major news that I alluded to, of course, was this cost cap saga. Uh the Red Red Bull team, you know, breaching the cost cap. Uh we were supposed to hear the results and what the punishment was. Um uh, during the USGP, as I mentioned to you guys with the passing of the Red Bull founder, Dietrich, that was postponed. So we now finally have, um, what the exact amount was that the Red Bull team, uh, breached the cost cap and also what the official punishment was, which is, um, there's a term for it. It's basically an accepted breach agreement is how the FI termed it, um, which is interesting by itself. And we'll get to that. So the amount that Red Bull had officially passed or breached the cost cap was almost by 2 million pounds. If you want to be specific, it was 1.86 million pounds, which is quite a lot of money. Okay. So that's, you know, uh, the first thing we want to mention. And so, you know, for weeks there had been comments from the leadership of Red Bull that they do not have any cost cap breach and that that news was not accurate. So we now as a team, when you have accepted that, put up your hands and you sign an agreement of, of, you know, accepting punishment, you have now basically put up your hands and said, yes, we accept that there is a cost cap breach. So that was interesting to note, like I said, because Christian Horner for weeks told journalists there is no cost cap that Red Bull has breached. So that's the first thing. Now, so when it comes, you know, the next natural question was, so what is the official punishment that we have, we as in the public and the journalists and, you know, F1 fans, We have been waiting to hear what is the FIA, um, what are the punishments that they're going to put down. So the punishment was on the financial side, they are, um, as a team, have to pay six million pounds, okay? That's on the financial side. Uh, That payment actually has to be made, and I learned this today, that payment from the team to the FIA has to be made within the next 30 days. Okay. So that's point number one. The second item, um, that was negotiated as a punishment is they are going to have a 10% cut in aero testing. So essentially what that means is, and some of y'all might already be familiar with this. Each team has an allotted percentage of time that they can do aerodynamic testing. Okay so it goes in the order of your constructor finish so in other words if you are the top finisher uh, for example red bull was the winner last year um and you know mercedes was second. Uh, excuse me mercedes was the constructors winner and red bull was second of course they won the drivers championship so if you were the top team then you're gonna have less aerodynamic testing time and it goes in increments down, you know, down the order. So second place, third place, fourth place, you know, it it continues like that. And so the reason that was done, of course, is if you are the most successful team, it is to give the less successful teams more aerodynamic time, you know, so just to kind of make it more fair. Now, a recent example of how that aerodynamic testing time has been really beneficial is when Ferrari had um, they pretty ha- they had their really tough seasons where they were finishing in the middle of the order. What we saw last year was so they had significantly more aerodynamic testing time than a team like Mercedes, than a team like Red Bull, and you can see with the car they produced. How beneficial it is for you to have more aerodynamic testing time than the other teams. All right. So that was the second aspect of their punishment. Okay. Now there has been really fierce debate and reaction from the other teams um, who have felt like this is not a just punishment, especially for what Red Bull has gained. If you think about it, they have, you know, this cost cap, of course, goes back to last year. So, you know, you look at the car Red Bull has produced that has won them a driver's world championship that has won them a constructors world championship. You know, one has to ask themselves, okay, well, if, if Ferrari and Mercedes had spent that extra money, where would their car be right now? You know, What kind of sacrifices did they have to make in order to make sure they didn't breach the cost cap? And as far as, you know, the the cost cap breach, the only team to have done that, you know, from a physical point of view was Red Bull. Now, Aston Martin, let's keep in mind, they had a different kind of cost cap breach. Theirs was procedural, which was different from Red Bull's breach. And they were giving a, they were, excuse me, given a fine of 394,000 pounds. But again, you got to keep in mind, procedural is different than an actual cost cap breach. So the only team out of the entire field that failed that cap, by the definition, was Red Bull. And so you know, again, the reaction was very strong and very swift from the other teams. Most teams did not think that this was a viable punishment in order, uh, to satisfy how the, the rules were broken by Red Bull. Okay. Now, uh, and I'll say this to, to kind of, um, finalize the, the, the podcast and also this, uh, the aspect of the cost cap breach, something that I had not learned, um, and that has not been publicized widely, but that has possibly come out. And again, you know, this is not from official channels, but from very well-respected journalists that do have sources. One of the issues that teams are pretty upset about is, that during this procedure and going back and forth with the FIA, as far as what the punishment is going to be. Now, keep in mind, guys, that is actually not illegal. That is built into the um, rules for cost cap that they come up with. If you're given a punishment, there can be dialogue with the FIA, you know, in order for you to accept it and put suggestions forward. Now, what I've learned is the original amount of aerodynamic testing, uh, reduction they were going to get was actually different, uh, from the 10% that has been made official. And apparently Red Bull, when they first, you know, received, um, the, the terms of the punishment they were going to get that they had to accept They actually, as a representative, sent Adrian Newey, who's by the way, the the top technical uh officer of Fred Bull. He's uh, you know, as most of you guys know, very renowned aerodynamic uh, you know, uh, engineer. You can actually make the argument, possibly one of the best Formula One has ever had. And you, you know, if you needed any proof, you can just look at this year's car. So, and again. You know, uh, this is the word coming from sources. This is not from official sources, so I'll, I'll um, put that out there. It was noted that Edward Nui was actually sent to speak to the Fi delegates and and say, uh, not say. I guess let me use a different word: mention to them how how badly the, the first original aerodynamic, um, you know, percentage they were going to get, how badly it was going to affect them. And that may have caused the FIA to change it to 10%. Now, if, if this is true, boy, you know, this is something that has to change because imagine if you have at your disposal, the best aerodynamic person you know, currently in F1 and and keep in mind, you know, there's a lot of brilliant aerodynamic engineers. There's just a lot of brilliant engineers in general in Formula One. But if a team so happens to have the most brilliant one and, you know, you send them to negotiate the aerodynamic terms, I mean, we can all imagine how convincing he's going to be. So, the fact that you're allowed to do that, I think they're going to have to revisit that. And, you know, I don't know what changes are going to come, but so that, you know, was one of the things that happened in the background before um, we heard the official terms of what came out. So just wanted to put that out there for you guys. As you well know, when I do this podcast, I, you know, I really, make an effort, not just to give you guys an erase, a uh, race analysis, but to actually go deep into, you know, what happens in the paddock, even though all of us are not physically there, just to know the ins and outs of what is happening, uh, from, you know, uh, aspects of people who have very connected sources within the team. So, yeah, so that is, you know, that finally puts an end on the cost, you know, cop, uh, breach, You know, as I mentioned at the beginning, there's a lot of people unhappy with that. But at this point, there's really not, you know, once the terms of the punishment have, you know, been said and accepted, there's nothing anybody else can do, unfortunately. So we move on to the next race. But this brings us to the conclusion of the Mexican GP review. As always, I want to appreciate each and every one of you listening from every part of the globe. Please always feel free, if you need to, to check out the TF1 podcast Twitter page, and I will catch up with you guys soon. Stay safe. Thank you. Bye.